Welcome to the Paranormal Prowlers podcast. So I just made it to Colorado a couple days ago, my home state. Absolutely love it. Love being with family and friends. However, I am located at my mom's at the moment, and it's a beautiful area, but we're kind of in the canyon where mountains are and stuff, which is beautiful, but it's super, super windy. So if you hear any of that in the background, I am apologizing in advance. (laughs) So anyways, have you ever been to a place that demanded your attention, a location that you suddenly think of and you experience these strong urges of going there? I have two places that have this effect on me, New Orleans, Louisiana, and Tombstone, Arizona. It's almost as if invisible forces are pulling me to these desired places. Not even like one place, but a whole damn town or city. New Orleans and Tombstone, completely different places, right? I know. One is Wild West, known for the OK Corral gunfight, cowboys, outlaws, etc. The other with voodoo and witches, plantations, and so on. Both rich in history. With both these locations, it was love at first sight, honestly. I've been to so many places in my life. Some I have fun at and enjoy fully, but I'm quite okay with the fact that I may never return there. Not the case with Tombstone and Nola. You already heard about one of my Tombstone adventures when it came to my attachment with Red Sample. This week, I want to touch on another Tombstone gem. Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. This location was overflowing with paranormal activity. The history alone was pretty fantastic as well. I love haunted stuff. I love history. Haunted history? Oh my God, forget about it. I'm in heaven. Couldn't be happier when I'm around the stuff. I'm glowing. So anyways, Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. A stone's throw away from the lovely and haunted Birdcage Theater, right next door to the mortuary was a small shop where they offered tours and investigations next door and also a cute little gift shop. The name caught my eye, Sisters Paranormal Investigations. When I saw the name, I knew I had to check this out for myself. As you might know, my sister Casey is part of my team. Sisters Paranormal Investigations? (laughs) Yep, right up my alley. It was summertime, June, I believe, the year 2016. I had just spent the entire day hitting up some of Tombstone's favorite haunted landmarks. Birdcage Theater, Big Nose Kate's Saloon, Boot Hill Cemetery, and more. My last thing to do in this Old West town was Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. I was excited. I love mortuaries. There's just something about them. I don't know. I'm weird, I guess. Earlier that day, I stopped in the gift shop and spoke with one of the sisters, Stacy. We talked about the paranormal and other spooky things. She told me about the tours that her and her sister, Nora, do at the mortuary. Of course, this totally piqued my interest. Intrigued, I committed right there on the spot to go later that evening. I arrived that night. What little equipment I had with me at the time, which I believe was my mail meter and my digital recorder. 
Everything else was left at home in the good old Colorado Rockies. When I arrive, Stacy and one of her team members, Tressa, is there. Stacy's sister, Nora, was unable to join us that night, unfortunately. Besides us three, two couples joined us. This was their first encounter and investigation with the paranormal, and I'm sure it's something they would never forget, as one of the women had quite an experience. <laughs> I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. This was sort of a tour and investigation, if you will. Now, I've done it all. I've done team investigations, solo investigations, tours slash investigations, etc. I go with the flow. Each experience is different, and I welcome it with open arms and ears. And hey, nostrils, remember those phantom smells. Stacy and Tressa talked about some of the history of this phenomenal location and showed us around. Then the later half we investigated. I recorded the whole time including when they were talking about the history. History that I found to be interesting. So I'll be sharing some of that with you as well, so you get to know a little more about Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. Early on, not during the investigation, my recorder captured what sounded like to me that of a child's breathing. This was close, as if right in front of the recorder, not coming from outside, which would be distant and muffled. So this is what I learned about the mortuary. In Tombstone's heyday, there were three morgues located there, each having full-time morticians. Surprisingly, during this time, larger cities such as St. Louis, San Francisco, and New York only had one morgue. Not only that, but they had a part-time mortician. Tombstone was a damn busy place, that's for sure, my friends, with gunfights, murders, illnesses, and what have you. It doesn't surprise me that such a spot would demand that many morgues. The building Watt and Tarbell occupied started construction on the building in 1878 and was completed the following year in 1879. It opened its doors as Tarbell Undertakers. When they opened for business, the town wasn't Tombstone at the time. It was known as Goose Flats. It was only when the Silver Rush hit that people started rushing into town, and from then on, it became what we know now as Tombstone. Tarbell had a partner join him. Then Tarbell Undertakers became Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. And it remained that way until 1887 when they severed their partnership and it went back to its original name, Tarbell Undertakers. It stayed Tarbell Undertakers until at least 1909. Stacy shared with us that this is the latest record that they were able to locate. The original building was far longer than what I saw that day in June. For those who've been to Tombstone, and particularly on Allen Street, I mean, I don't think it's possible to go to Tombstone and not go to Allen Street since all the action is there. Think of Birdcage Theater, which is near Watts Harbell. So in that general area, the original building goes all the way from there up until Doc Holliday's Saloon. Pretty good distance, right? The gift shop I went into earlier in Doc's Saloon was actually the family parlors, the viewing area, the chapel, and there was even a living space in the back of the building. 
For a short amount of time, the front part of the saloon was a Wells Fargo. Hey, I bake there. How about you folks? The mortuary was also home to the beautiful horse-drawn carriage hearse, known as the Mariah. Folks, ah, the Mariah. I consider myself so lucky to have been in its almighty presence while investigating the birdcage. I'd literally walk away to go to another location, but those invisible forces, my friends, kept making me go back as I kept finding myself standing in front of it. This Mariah that is at the old brothel is the original Boot Hill hearse. It's trimmed in 24 karat gold and sterling silver. It was owned by Watt and Tarbell Mortuary. It was used from 1881 through 1917. Impressing. They buried everyone in Boot Hill Cemetery with the exception of six people. That's a shitload of people, my friends. The Mariah was built by Cunningham Bros in Rochester, New York. My mom and her siblings were born there in Rochester. There were eight originals that were built for the hefty price tag of $8,000. What amazed me, this is truly a rare gem. The Mariah standing before me is the only one left of the original eight. The trim on the hearse is all sterling silver and 24 karat gold leaf. The curved glass, well, that's the first ever manufactured on a vehicle. That's impressive alone. It's definitely a sight to look at and you must check it out if you are in the area. Back to the topic at hand, the mortuary. If you're in there, you'll notice these little doors in the front of the building. Tarbell had bought two 1881 Mariah hearses from upstate New York. Those little doors, the purpose? <laughs> this is where they would pull in and out from. And as mentioned earlier, they were super busy. Stacy goes on to share with us that if a body came in here that was unidentified, which happened kind of a lot, unfortunately, the morticians would go ahead with the embalming process. After she says this bit of info, my trustworthy recorder caught an EVP of a voice asking, why? After embalming the body, the morticians would put the unidentified body in what is called the viewing coffin. It's a casket that has a glass top on it. They would then proceed to open the door, prop the coffin up, and shockingly enough, they would leave the body there for up to 10 days to see if any passerby or locals would see the body, know who it is, or identify them. Now, I don't know. I understand what they were trying to do, and I, I respect that completely, but 10 days in the Arizona sweltering heat? I don't know. I'm sure uh, things got a little stinky in that area. Sadly, most of the people remained unknown and were buried as such. Forever unknown. Tombstone is the home of many unidentified burials. In fact, one time while I was at Boot Hill Cemetery, during an EVP session, I was walking past three unknown graves. I said something like, how sad, a bunch of unknowns right here. My recorder caught a man whispering as if right by my side saying, I know. During our historical tour of the morgue, we walk into a small room where the morticians worked. There sits a portable mortician's table. On the top, it's dated April 12, 1881. 
These portable tables came in very handy and proved to be super convenient because back then, instead of the body being transferred to the morgue, many times the mortician would actually process the body right in your home sweet home, embalming and the whole nine yards. They would fold the table up and it resembled that of a large wooden suitcase. Looking at the table closely, it's viewed that there are holes in it. Stacy shares with us that the main reason for the holes is that they would put large blocks of ice underneath the table. The holes would allow the cold air from the ice to seep up and keep the body nice and cold while it was being processed. This portable mortician table is also known as the cooling table. Almost sounds like that could be a name for a bar or something. The cooling table saloon. I don't know. Maybe not. Sounded good for a second. Stacy and Tressa led us to the back of the building. As we walked silently, my recorder capturing our footsteps until an EVP from a man is caught saying, touch the hair. I request that you remember this bit as the hair thing plays on a little later. We walk into the back area and Stacy reveals to us that the area we are in was actually an outside yard, fenced in. This was where the second hearse, the Mariah, would sit. Keeping her company was all the building materials for the coffins. And not too far away was the area where the morticians and their families lived. Standing there, we clearly see metal strapped to the wall. Stacy shares that the metal is the original roof for the mortuary. And when it was time to replace the roof, the owners couldn't just throw it in the dump. I mean, you'd really literally be throwing away a piece of old West history. So them putting it on the wall is their way of keeping a bit of the original alive, which gotta love that. I, I would probably do the absolute same thing. Absolutely. In the top left pane of one of the windows, which happens to be the original glass, by the way, bears a single bullet hole. The story behind the bullet hole? Who knows? One of life's mysteries. They are unsure why someone would be shooting in the direction of the morgue. But in the old Wild West, it's not too shocking. At one point, there was a livery stable that sat directly behind the morgue. The sisters, Stacy and Nora, even found old newspapers advertising that they could make mud drops in the back so you can literally take a body back there drop it off, dump it, and go on with your business. Just a simple errand, no biggie. We make our way into another room where there's a big-ass sink. This is where the embalming would take place. The mortician table would be here too, just a wee bit bigger than the traveling portable ones. They used the gravity method. The window would hold straight above, and the window on the other side of the wall would be used for the ventilation. Dead bodies weren't the only thing occupying this room. Back in the day, cyanide was widely used in the embalming fluids. This may be one of the reasons why many morticians died young, finding themselves in early graves. At this particular mortuary, they lived nice, long lives at ages 85 and 89 years young. The last location we go to before we do a little investigating is... Dun, 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 the basement. Tressa, who's not even five foot tall, has to duck down to get to the basement. Just to give you an idea of just how low it is. 
As we get situated down there, my recorder captures an EVP of what sounds like a female saying, pull it. Down in the basement is where they would store some of the embalming items, sulfur, cyanide, what have you. Visible coming out of the wall is a piece of a pipe. And it's no longer connected to anything. But back in the day, that mortician sink we were at earlier, well, that pipe was connected to that sink. And all those fluids would drain out from behind the building and down into the wash. While we are down in the basement, my recorder captures the moaning of who I believe to be a man. Granted, there are two men down there with us, but they sure as hell weren't moaning. I would have definitely noticed that and debunk it immediately. Mm Mm-mm, nope, nope, nope. This moaning went unheard by all of our ears. One moan, 16 ears. No one heard it. The pipe isn't the only interesting thing down in the old basement. It's obvious that part of the wall is collapsed. Stacy shares that this was done on purpose. That area leads to the tunnel systems that run deep below Tombstone. These tunnels ran through businesses and mines. You can't go down there, though. You would literally die unless you have like a hazmat suit on because it's not just businesses and mines that these tunnels run through, my friends. It runs through opium dens. Very uh, rich and intoxicating history, so to speak. When we are done with the basement, we head to the large front room area where the viewing casket would sit out the window. There is a table with different types of equipment provided by Sisters Paranormal Investigations. Investigating the paranormal for several years, I was familiar with all the equipment and owned a few of the same tools myself. One of the tools they had, the Periscope, which is an EMF meter. I have wanted one for a while and got to use theirs. I enjoyed it so much that I bought one pretty shortly after. We all sit in a circle and Stacy and Tressa start explaining the tools and the purpose they serve. One that everyone immediately loved was Boo Buddy. And while I'm not going to describe all the tools used in this investigation, I do want to touch on this tool because we got interesting results with it later in the evening. Boo Buddy is a teddy bear that is designed to try to get the spirits of babies, infants, children, and so on to interact with it. This bear has K2 meters in its paws, Boo Buddy is triggered to talk about, oh, I would say 40 to 45 seconds or so. It says things to try to get the children interested. But then there are times when something is happening and it's detecting something. Like Boo Buddy will say something, discreetly letting the investigator know that, hey, pay attention, something's happening, something's going on. So we know, but it's not scaring away the kiddo. For example, with temperature drops or rises, armed with a temperature gauge, Boo Buddy will either say, did you just make it cooler? Or did you just make it warmer? If he is touched in the tummy, he giggles. <laughs> that tickles. And if his paw is touched, he will say, I like holding hands too. I want to mention that one of the men in the group excitedly called Dibs to use Boo Buddy for the night. We all kind of laugh, and suddenly a deep, almost guttural laugh chimes in, totally going unheard by us, but of course the recorder captured it. Kind of creepy. The ovulus is turned on, and it doesn't take long for words to start coming through. One of them being pull. 
Not knowing we've already gotten two EVPs referring to hair, Tressa warns one of the gals who happens to have very long hair saying, watch your hair. It said pool. She better watch her hair. Okay, this won't be the last time we hear about hair. It was an interesting night for sure, and you'll hear about it later. But there is one more tool I need to describe real quick, the SCD-1. I've heard of it before, but never used it till that night. Think kind of like Spirit Box. It's similar to that, but not really. One thing I really don't like, and that's why I haven't gotten this tool, you have to be somewhere that offers electricity. You have to plug it into the wall. Many places I go to anyway, like cemeteries, mines, old ass asylums, places that don't have that accessory. So anyway, it sweeps through internet radio. So when it sweeps through the radio, you're not hearing the regular spirit box sounds. Even if you're not a paranormal investigator, if you've seen TV shows, a lot of the times they use spirit boxes and do spirit box sessions. So you always hear that. So you're not hearing that regular spirit sound, spirit box sound. It cannot connect to a station long enough for an entire word. With that being said, it's on up and running. And like the ovulus, it doesn't take too long for the SCD one to start spurting out words. Stacy starts off by saying hello to the spirits of the mortuary that we would love to communicate with them. Yada, yada, yada. Seconds after saying this, a man's voice comes through the SCD-1 saying, we hear you. A minute or so goes by, then another voice comes through the same source saying, surround them. Creepy? Um, yeah, just a little. There were times during this investigation, like most investigations, where I had to debunk things. For instance, the two women in the group of four joining us were whispering to one another. Not cool, ladies. Not cool at all. Rookie mistake. <laughs> Suddenly, we notice that Boo Buddy's EMF meter is spiking up. He then says, Aw, thanks. I love holding hands, too. Stacy asks for the spirit to let go of the bear, then requests that if it's a boy, to touch the bear again, but only if it's a boy. She also encourages the man holding the bear to ask questions. Boo Buddy warns us about the activity once more and says, thanks for making it warmer. The man asks if the spirit is a kid and Boo Buddy giggles and replies, that tickles. Stacy requests the spirit who's messing with the teddy bear tell us their name. The SCD-1 comes to life, a child's voice answering, saying, a ghost. Seconds later, a man comes through saying, you damn kids. Not kidding. It was so wild. And uh, obviously, like Spirit Box, we were able to actually hear all of these things occurring when it was coming through the SCD-1, if I didn't mention that earlier. So Stacy warns us that a resident spirit there named Paul likes to mess with people's shoelaces. Well, that day, my shoes were slip-on shoes, or what I like to refer to them as my lazy shoes. Super comfy, super lazy, and I love it that way. I laugh and tell the group that the joke's on Paul for, haha, I have no shoelaces. Somebody asks how many spirits are with us. The two voices come through the SCD-1, one replying 18, the other saying three. A while later, the girl with the long hair suddenly out of nowhere gets real cold. I mean, her back is freezing. Guys, must I remind you, this is in mid-June in Arizona, 
where it was well over 115 degrees, Stacy asks the girl if she wants to ask the spirits if someone is behind her or around her. Immediately after Stacy says this, my recorder captures a woman giving us this EVP behind you. The gal asks, is anybody standing behind me? The SCD-1 answers, there are people. Then another voice comes through saying, multiple. We ask who is standing behind her and a man comes through saying, Victor, I am. Now, I want to mention that many times this thing stayed silent, the SCD-1, ignoring many of our questions, and it would come on and communicate with us, and almost always it was intelligently answering us. Pretty awesome. Again, not knowing the EVPs regarding the hair, Tressa reminds us that, hey, the ovulus said full hair. Stacy asks the spirits, do you like her hair? Again, the SCD-1 kicks on. A man clearly responds saying, I like her hair. And yet another man comes through creepily saying, it's very smooth. What happens next gave me chills that hot summer Arizona night. Stacy asks if the spirits would like to run their fingers through her hair. My recorder captures yet another EVP of a man saying, I just did. Creepy, right? <laughs> of course, we didn't hear this as it was happening. I wouldn't hear any of my EVPs or results from this investigation until a couple weeks later, while in Sedona, Arizona. Seconds after I received that EVP, a man comes through the SCD-1 repeating the EVP, but this time we all heard it. I just did. Instantly, the woman shrieks, literally jumping out of her seat, screaming, I just felt something. A moment later, the periscope, which is sitting on my lap, suddenly lights up, indicating that, hey, there's some activity going on here. I demand your attention. I kid you not, a second later, I feel a tap on my shoe. Whack. And I must laugh. I guess the joke is on me. Good one, Paul. Good one. Shoelaces or not, you got me. Trying to prove a point, and I'm loving it. I ask, why did you just do that to my shoe? The SCD-1 blurts out, I wanted to. I stand up and walk in the middle of the floor and introduce myself. Hello, my name is Tessa Morrow. I'm a paranormal investigator. I respect you fully. Can you tell me your name, please? The SCD-1 roars to life. A man's voice comes through and says, Peyton. A little voice of what sounds like a boy comes through saying, Billy. Another voice comes through saying, hello. And lastly, a man is heard asking, paranormal investigator? See, you see what I mean when it like, you know, answering intelligently, you know? So it's just really interesting stuff. A few moments later, Tressa, who is a fellow sensitive like myself, and in addition to this, I really believe she's a medium, she shares with us that she sees someone standing in the darkened doorway. So Stacy asks, who's there? And my recorder captures an EDVP. All of us. A few seconds later, a man whispers, repeating the EVP, possibly the same man, but I'm unsure. All of us. I share with the group that I heard a man whisper in my ear. This happens from time to time, hearing the EVPs with my own ears as they happen, usually unintelligible. It's literally like somebody's whispering in my ear 
And it's always a man. I've never had a female whisper in my ear where I hear it immediately. I always say it out loud when this occurs, documenting it. So Stacy looks at me and asks, really? She then asks the spirit who just spoke, can you do that again? My recorder catches a man answering, saying, yes. This time I didn't hear it, but hey, I'll take an EVP any damn day. Boo Buddy suddenly speaks, saying, count with me. One, two, three, four. My recorder catches this amazing EVP of a voice whispering five. I look past the group and notice movement by an old wooden bar past the doorway. I let the group know and me and the other two gals walk over to the bar. Stacy says, hey, there are a lot of pretty girls at the bar right now. Come over and talk to them. A man comes through the SCD-1 saying, you all look great. Okay, he didn't whistle, but he did say you all look great. A woman gives the CVP via recorder saying, crazy hair. What happens next? <laughs> wow. The girl with the long hair is standing next to me, and suddenly, in a shrilly voice, she says, Oh my god, my hair is moving! It's a bit darker where we are, so I flash my phone's flashlight on the back of her head, and I kid you not, her hair was moving from the left to the right. As if on cue, the SCD-1 comes on, and a man replies through it, saying, I was just curious. One of the more sad EVPs I got that night, Stacy uh, says, hey, my friend Tessa here has a recorder in her hand. She's writing a book. Is there anything you want to tell her about Tombstone for her book or anything about yourself? My recorder captures a very faint voice whispering, I am a lost ghost. Boo Buddy picked up on this and asks, did you say something? Can you please say it again? After the investigation, Tressa and I went down to the basement, armed with the recorder, Melmeter, and ovulus. We were down there for several minutes, and we got several words through the ovulus. When we were getting activity by the bar, I want to mention that I took several pictures, and in one of the pictures, a red noose could be seen hanging, and below the noose is what appears to be a bluish figure. When this picture was enhanced and lightened, there appeared to be a second figure, what looked like hanging beside the noose. Not in the noose, mind you, but hanging alongside it, side by side. Utterly amazing to me. If you're curious and want to see it, please let me know. You can email me at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com and I'd love to send you a picture. I thought it was really neat that we got several forms of evidence through different types of equipment when it came to that girl's hair. As mentioned before, her group had never investigated the paranormal before, so I'm really sure it is an encounter that she will never forget. I almost wish I had her information where I could let her know about the EVPs because she didn't hear. She got the ovulus results and the SCD-1 results but she didn't get the results when it comes to the EVPs, and I'm sure she'd be really interested in that. As I bore witness to it, I will never forget this encounter. Watt and Tarbell did not disappoint to date. It is one of the most active locations I had ever been to. There were several other things that occurred that weren't mentioned in this episode, but I definitely talked about the main things. 
So go to Arizona sometime in Tombstone on Allen Street and see what kind of spirits you'll run into. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Tell your friends about it. Tell your family all about it. You can also find me all over social media. Just search for Paranormal Prowlers or Official Paranormal Prowlers and listen to the other past episodes. They are equally awesome. See you next week.